We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.tm. Joining me shortly is Chris Peterman. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. Huge game. FYI, the 49ers are in the playoffs wildcard weekend. They take on the Dallas Cowboys at 1.30 p.m. in Dallas on Sunday. Chris and I are going to look ahead to that game with pick six, and then we're joined by our buddy, uh, KD Drummond. He is the managing editor of the Cowboys Wire. He is also the host of the Catch This Fade podcast, which you can find on Patreon. Um, Really good chat with him. Really informative insight on the 49ers playoff opponent. But first, let's get into pick six. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. You're a Sacramentan almost. Almost, yeah. Getting uh it's been it's been a slow burn. I have I'm I'm like very excited. I just ordered a new microphone and a boom arm. Man. For my new office. Um it's gonna be great. Professional podcaster. Yeah. It's gonna like I'm I'm holding up this mic that I like have right now that I've used forever. And I, I have a little like box that I can stick in my bag and take it anywhere. Um but it's not ideal and we're going to mm-hmm. have a boom arm and I'm going to be able to move it and like make, move it closer to my face instead of holding this thing super close to my face like this. <laughs> um, but yeah, man. And it's the, the mic supposed, the, the mic's supposed to get here on Sunday. So we will, uh, the first podcast with the new mic potentially will be after the game. It better be. If we get on this zoom and there's <laughs> not a mic hanging in front of your face, I'm going to be pissed. Rightfully I'm be so. so upset. Rightfully so, yeah. Um, big game though. I really enjoyed our conversation with Katie and uh, <clears throat> an unabashed Cowboys supporter, but also super knowledgeable. So um, stick around for that. Uh, one I, one thing I just noticed um, checking checking the Twitter sphere before uh, I wasn't at 49ers practice today, but I did see the injury report. The Niners had no DNPs at practice today. That's big which means Trent Williams returned. 
Um, and the 49ers are about as healthy as they've been all season. Um, and really the only starter off the top of my head that they're missing, I guess, aside from Javon Kinlaw would be Mike McGlinchey. And, um, you know, Tom Compton's played pretty well, particularly in the running game, probably not mm-hmm. your preferred option as a pass protector, but, um, I think that's a very positive development and having your, having your best players available is really going to help in my opinion. That's a great point. That's subscribe, subscribe to the pod for more breakdowns like that. Another interesting note, Jimmy Garoppolo listed as a full participant in practice. You think he starts this week? I don't know, man. They did just cut Tyler Bray, which might be good news for Nate Sudfeld. Ooh, shots to Nate Sudfeld. (laughs) Nate Sudfeld, the body language king of the 49ers practice squad. Yeah. Incredible vibes, body language guy. Yeah. You just see it on the practice field. And when he was up in uniform for that Houston game, like just uh, seems like a very, a very good teammate. Like you don't have to worry about like Nate Sudfeld sulking on the sideline. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, he's getting paid for sideline seats, dude. Like exactly. That's great. That's an A plus. That's an A plus gig. And I love that he uh, appreciates that not to take anything away from him as a competitor, because I'm sure he would love to start somewhere, but he also understands his role. Yes. And I think that's great. Uh, I think team leader and vibes for the 49ers has to be Juwan Jennings. Okay. My guy is on one on the football field, but his post-game interview after the Rams game, his post-game presser was off the charts. He's always turned. He said that's a direct quote. Yeah. I'm always turned. End quote. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable in that in that like colorful like <laughs> rainbow jacket. And he's yeah. like swaying from side to side because he has so much like pent up energy. Right. Yeah. Right. It's I think yeah, I, I think mean, Juwan Jennings has great vibes. It's it there's a lot of Kendrick Bourne qualities mm, there. Yeah. Like On not even off. not even the third receiver, like slot guy, big catch type thing. It's like like personality wise and vibes wise, there's, there's some similarities there for sure. Definitely. You want to get into pick six? Yeah. I mean, do we want to talk about just some keys to the game first? Sure. Like what we, so, I mean, I, I did, Tyler, don't do the thing yet. I, I did a little bit of math. Um, Cause we talk about turnovers a lot. So when the 49ers lose the turnover battle, they're one and five, when they win the turnover battle, they're five and zero, oh, And when they have as many turnovers as takeaways, um, they're four and two. So, I mean, that's, you know, that that's what I think of when I think of like, what, what's it look like when the 49ers win? Like, obviously it's not turning the ball over, but it's as long as they don't turn the ball. Cause I think they're going to have at least one, right? Like mm-hmm. I can't, as well as Jimmy Garoppolo played in that game, he didn't, he still turned the ball over twice. Right. Um, so that to me is, is a really big part of this game. And I just think like if you see two or three, then it's like really time to 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 be worried if you're a 49ers fan. If they're controlling the ball, if they're controlling tempo and they're able to run the ball, that's that to me is is going to be what defines the game. So that's going to be the interesting thing because Trevon Diggs, who led the league with 11, 11 interceptions, which is an ungodly number. But he also, according to Pro Football Focus, gave up the most yards in the league. And that's one of my big concerns for the 49ers, because if Kyle Shanahan sees a cornerback that he thinks can be exploited, he's going to try and exploit that player. And if Jimmy Garoppolo is making throws toward Trevon Diggs because they think they can beat him for yards, 
like that is bound to turn into an interception or two given his ball skills. And that would be one of my, my biggest concerns because you can't stay away from him because he's not good enough to be a shutdown corner. But also when you throw at him, he's liable to, to pull a couple out of the air. Yeah. And that's my, that's my kind of biggest concern with Garoppolo in this one. Totally agree. And, and the Cowboys in terms of turnover differential were tops in the league because they led the league with 34 takeaways. Right. But they still turned the ball over 20 times but they, they were the best in the league in terms of differential solely because right. they had 34 takeaways, which is just a completely obscene number. And what's what I'm curious about is like, you know, cause we talk about year over year turnovers. Like it's not, it's not the most stable statistic, right? Like mm-hmm. it's hard right. to predict turnovers um, one season to the next because they're, they're often so fluky. Right. And any proof you need, you can go back to 2019 when the 49ers had two picks against Jameis Winston and the bucks and they mm-hmm. matched their entire interception total from 2018 in that first game. <laughs> um, so, you know, does that was ridiculous? Does that like is are are the Cowboys going to continue getting those turnovers, or is is their regression to the mean coming in a super small sample? Right, right. like that's that's something that that is obviously going to be a focus for the 49ers. The other thing, and this isn't so much as an X's and O's more, it's more of like a human, human nature thing. Um, I asked KD about it and you'll, and you'll hear his answer, but like Cowboys were three and four against teams that went to the playoffs and their two wins, two of those three wins were against the Eagles. Um, one was a week 18 blowout in which the Eagles were playing their backup quarterback. Um, but as good as Dallas is, and as, as good as they look on paper, it's not a team that's super tested, right? Like it's not a team, you know, I don't, I'm not entirely sure what their biggest win this season is. You might have to go back to week six, October 17th, when they beat the Patriots on the road. And, mm-hmm. but other than that, it's like they beat the Vikings and the Falcons and the Saints in Washington, and the Giants in Washington, lost to Arizona and then beat the Eagles to end the season. It was like, I just, you know, I, I don't know how tested they are and what their numbers would look like had they gone against better teams. And and the point differential thing, you know, they have the, one of the best point differentials in the league. But, like, who did they play? <laughs> you know, and, like, you look at the point differential, it's like they, had, they hung 56 on Washington uh, the day after Christmas. They hung mm-hmm. 51 on Philadelphia last week. Um, they beat the Giants earlier in the season 44 to 20. They beat the Eagles week three, 41 to 23. Like they beat Atlanta 43 to three. So they can, they've proven that they can take care of really bad teams. Mm -hmm. My concern, if, if you are a Cowboys fan or, or maybe one thing I'd be optimist, I'd be optimistic about if I was a 49ers fan is that this team is not really tested. And then you look on the other side in the 49ers and like, they have been treating the end of the regular season, like the playoffs, because they had to just to get in. Right. Right. See that, that it feels like it happens all the time, whether it's in baseball or the NFL, like the team that is in that mode and is, is playing with more urgency for over a longer stretch often have just an emotional advantage over their opponent. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how much of that is going to factor into Sunday because you know, I think the 49ers gained a lot of steam with that Rams game. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's one of those things because we've seen it like and I've mentioned it there. There have been teams that don't have the best records that, you know, are wild card teams, not division winners that just come into the playoffs hot. And those are the teams that might be more prone to make a run than a team like the Cowboys, who never really had to put their foot on the gas to win a bad division um, and a team who looks really good on paper because they destroyed a lot of bad teams. But when they played good teams, they didn't play all that well. Right. Right. Except for the win over new England in week six, they scored 35 at new England on a really good Patriots defense. But to your point, like on paper, the Cowboys are very talented and there are smart NFL people who are picking them to go to the Super Bowl. And they were number one in DVOA and they were top 10 in offense and defense. Like they, like on paper, this is a really good team, but that doesn't take into account stepping onto the field in a playoff game, which Kalen Jones actually mentioned this on the last pod. The Niners have a ton of guys from that Super Bowl roster. I mean, it's 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 Nick Bosa and Fred Warner and Eric Armstead and Jimmy Ward and Jaquaski Tart. Like all these guys have played in these huge games, and that's Greg just on Greenlaw. defense. And that's just on defense. Like that, that doesn't even account for all the guys on the offensive side. So I think that could definitely play a role where we wind up looking at the Cowboys as a team. It was like, oh, we we're, it was the, the hype on them was a year early where they're just not quite, they haven't taken that, that step yet. Um, I could be wrong and they might be ready to, to rock and roll, but you could see where there might be that, that, emotional um, advantage early on for, especially early in the game, because I think by halftime, like teams are settled in, they're ready to go, but you could see the Niners jumping out early where they're looking at this as, Hey, we've been playing quote unquote playoff games for four weeks now. And this is just another game. Right. And the Cowboys are looking at it. Like we're a super bowl contender. This is, we have, you know, we're going to, this is just step one. Like we'll get through this game and then it's on to, it's on to green Bay where they almost overlooked the first round. Right. Yeah. And, and look like where the 49ers are going to have a mismatch potentially against anybody, right? Like if they, mm-hmm. if the 49ers make a run, what it's going to look like is they're them being more physical than their opponents. Mm-hmm. And we saw it like in the third quarter of the Rams game is a classic example. It was like, well, they're down, you know, two touchdowns, but they were still committed to running the ball and they took control of the game that way. And if there's a way to take advantage of Dallas, and I think this is true on both sides of the ball, is that you can be physical with them. You can run right at them. The, the, the Cowboys defense is allowing four and a half yards of carry. And that's certainly not going to be lost on Kyle Shanahan, right? And if there's a weakness on, on the Cowboys offense, it might be their offensive line. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously the Niners defensive front. Their front seven is the strength of their defense. So it's easy to see how it could work in the 49ers favor, just from a physicality standpoint. If the 49ers can exert their will, then I think it, it might even be a favorable matchup to them. The problems could come if they're turning the ball over if they're not effectively running the ball, like if that, if Dan Quinn sells out to stop the run and says, all right, Jimmy Garoppolo has to beat us over the top and Jimmy can't do it. 
then and he's turning the ball over, then that's what's going to make the game really hard for the 49ers to win. Mm-hmm. But if they're if they control the ball and they are able to just win the trenches on both sides, then I think that that type of game favors the 49ers in a pretty significant way. They're not they're not going to beat Dallas in a in a shootout where the teams combined for 80 points. Right. Right. This is going to be a game, I think, where if they win, it's going to be, you know, mid 20s, high teens, something like mm-hmm. that. And it's 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 going to be about ball control and about controlling tempo and turnovers. Um, and ultimately, I think whoever runs the ball more effectively and maybe even you, you could look at just attempts like whoever runs the ball more wins this game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's that's what we're in for. And honestly, I think the 49ers yeah. have a really good chance. Like I, I'm, I, do with, too. I I'm with Joe Fan, who, who made a special appearance <laughs> at the end of Boy, uh, the last pod saying that like this he thinks the smart money's on the 49ers like i tend to agree i i think the way the niners are playing and the sense of urgency they have and the physicality they have i i would be surprised if they didn't have that intensity um and they didn't come out with that force that allows them to control the game what will decide the game ultimately is mistakes and turnovers and if they can avoid those then i like their chances to pull off the upset I think the nightmare scenario, like when you talk about Dan Quinn selling out to stop the run, is they turn on the Seahawks tape from week 13 and they say, okay, commit nine guys to the box and just make sure that they're not winning on first and second down and that that can stall out the 49ers offense because then you're forcing Jimmy Garoppolo to make throws down the field, which is where, and he did it effectively against the Rams, but he also had two pretty bad interceptions trying to push the ball down the field. And I think that's the game where if you're circling something, if if you were if the Cowboys called and said, hey, how do you stop the 49ers? It's like, follow whatever the Seahawks did. Because that was not a very good Seahawks defense. And the Niners could not run the ball against them. And that would be my greatest concern. And I think what the 49ers are going to do is try and figure out ways to combat that because Dallas is going to stack the box. They're going to make sure that it's not Debo Samuel. It's not Elijah Mitchell. They're going to make Jimmy Garoppolo beat them. And I think that's kind of been the MO with the 49ers and defending the 49ers for the last couple seasons is can you make Jimmy Garoppolo beat you? The the Rams didn't necessarily do that because the Niners ran the ball pretty effectively, but Garoppolo made the throws. Now, can you do that two weeks in a row? Because he's going to have to make, we, we've talked about this before, but you know, in a, in a game against a bad team, he might need to make two to four throws just to kind of keep the chains moving early in a game like this. It's going to be eight, 10 throws that he has to have. And whether he completes those throws or turns them over could wind up being the, the difference in the game, because it's going to depend. It's going to force the Cowboys to defend them differently than they want. Completely agree. Let's do pick six. Yeah. Tyler now did the thing. Now hit the, the button. I'm imagining Tyler has a big button and he just smashes it. It's a giant pick six button, like the yeah. easy button. When that yeah, exactly. It just inserts the whole thing. Um, I pick first this, this week. Oh, that means you have somebody in mind. Yeah, right I, went, I went back and looked for the first time all season to see who actually picks first, and it's me this time. 
Um, <laughs> it's it's playoffs, so you you kind of have to go with the big guns here. They need um, their they they. What's the phrase? Their A players play like A players. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Fred Warner was talking that about that earlier this season. Speaking of Fred Warner, oh. I'm going to pick Tebow Samuel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. Um, I mean, there's a very good chance he has a rushing touchdown. Also, could have a receiving touchdown. Hey, maybe he throws for another touchdown. Maybe he <laughs> uh, kicks. Maybe he punts for them this week. Maybe he's their place kicker. Maybe he handles kickoffs. Um, for all of these reasons, I'm taking Debo Samuel. It's just one of those things where it's like, it, is Debo has Kyle Shanahan made Debo Samuel game plan proof? Can you like, like as a defensive key. coordinator, can you say I'm doing everything I can to stop Debo Samuel? And then Kyle Shanahan's like, well, actually, I'm going to line him here, or I'm going to use him this way, and whatever your plan was is now null and void because I'm just going to do something we haven't done with him yet. Yeah. Like it seems like it should be as simple as, Hey, when Debo Samuel's in the backfield, the Niners are going to give it to him. And like, you know, what's coming, but the Niners are still able to do it. And then now you have to worry about Debo Samuel potentially throwing a pass to somebody leaking out behind the defense. And that being a very crucial touchdown in the game, like it was against the Rams. Right. So, Mm -hmm. Uh, what's fascinating to me about Debo, like I said, I think he's game plan proof at this point. I think Kyle Shanahan has probably the most unique weapon he's ever had in his career in terms of building these game plans. And I think, look, if the 49ers are going to win, I think it's probably going to take at least a touchdown from Debo. Um, and I, I, he's just that guy right now. Like he's, mm-hmm. he is one of like Debo Samuel should be an all pro. Yes. Yeah, I think absolutely. He's he's third in the NFL in total yards. Um, he's way up there in touchdowns. Also, like he's he's just that guy. So I uh, I'm taking Debo Samuel first overall. Yeah, and and I think too at some point we're going to see some variation off of like the the, the Juwan Jennings touchdown. I was going back and I was watching the All Twenty Two because that's what I do. I grind tape and. Debo Samuel just does it on that play. And you've talked about this on the pod too, but on that play, Debo Samuel runs an orbit motion where he runs behind the the shotgun snap and just floats behind the line of scrimmage and a cornerback and the safety Taylor Rapp both follow him that way. He clears out the middle of the field without being near the line of scrimmage, which was insane to me. I could not get over that. Just, season on the line have to have a touchdown in the final minute and Jawan Jennings is wide open for a walking score. What the, right because the guy that was supposed to be in the middle of the field was worried about Debo Samuel 20 yards away from him. It's like a check down. It was crazy. It was yeah. a crazy sequence. But that's what Debo Samuel does to teams. You can't you can't put one guy because even if your one guy covers him perfectly, he's going to break a tackle. You have to have multiple guys like layered to try and get him to the ground. So no, I love that pick. If the Niners win, it's going to be another big Debo game because that's the way this goes. I do wonder if we see this week though, this is the point I was trying to get to. If we see like a play action off of Debo in the backfield, or maybe just the old school jet motion with the little quick shovel pass, like bring that back out. I don't think they've thrown any of those this year. Um, I, I, I think at some point there's got to be a little bit of a wrinkle 
to Debo Samuel in the backfield. And if you're going to bust it out, like now's the time to do it. And it's just another thing for a defense to think about. Debo's going to have a big game. thousand percent. Who are you picking? I'm going to jump to the other side of the ball and I'm going to go with Nick Bosa. I'm looking at Terrence Steele, the Cowboys starting tackle and they're starting right tackle. He has allowed 31 pressures and two sacks this year. Sacking Dak Prescott is not a super easy thing to do, but I think if you can pressure him, get him off of his spot, uh, make him throw the ball a little bit earlier than he wants to, I think that's a good way to kind of slow down a explosive Dallas passing attack. If he can get home for a sack or two, great. But like bottom line, if the 49ers are going to beat Dallas, Nick Bosa needs to be a factor. Like that's 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 the long and short of it. Their offensive line is good enough that I don't think Eric Armstead's going to have two and a half sacks again. I don't know if Arden Key is going to go in and have four pressures again. I don't know if DJ Jones is going to go have four pressures again. Can Nick Bosa take over a game? He might have to do that, and that's why he is my pick. I like it. It it it's pretty basic, right? Like. You have one of the best downfield passing attacks in the league with Dak Prescott and those receivers and the way the 49ers neutralize it is their pass rush. And what one thing that I think is really unique and, and is what is what made this, what makes this 49ers, this iteration of the 49ers pass rush special is just all the different games they run. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's like, it's almost like a route tree. It's crazy. Like the they have a very specific plan, and Chris Kasurik has done a really good job in finding the strengths uh, of his group and also utilizing them to take advantage of opposing offensive lines and finding the right matchups, right? And a lot of two man games, right? Like, a, like you know, Katie says it in, in in the talk in the conversation that you're about to hear. He's like, he said Arden Key, I forget exactly how he worded it, like Arden Key, like put the fear of God in him. And I was just like, man, that is not something I ever would have expected anybody to say. Such a weird sentence. <laughs> but it's be, it's it's because Arden Key is no longer an edge rusher who right. was not very effective. It's Arden Key is like a three technique and he's lining, he's lining up in, you know, over center in the A gap and really taking advantage of his, his athleticism in those situations. And then they're doing stunts and two man games and all those mm-hmm. different things. And you're figuring out a way to maximize a guy who was going to be your what? sixth, seventh pass rusher. Like, like Come, borderline, not going to make the team kind of guy coming into the season. Yeah. And now he's second on the team in sacks. Yeah. Right. So like, it's, you know, the, the, the things that they do, schematically and the way they attack offensive lines is super impressive. And obviously Nick Bosa mm-hmm. is, is the linchpin and all of that. So good yep. pick on your part. Um, I have a season long mea culpa. Oh, I'm about to make with this pick. Do it. I'm taking Jimmy Garoppolo. Whoa! <laughs> um, I wrote a column this oh, week. Oh man. Okay. I wrote a column this week for the Sacramento Bee. Uh, which you can you. read. I believe it's going up Friday. We're recording this Thursday evening, so it, it'll be up by the time you can listen. Sackby.com slash 49ers. Sackby.com slash 49ers. I'll tweet about it. I basically asked Kyle Shanahan on Wednesday, like, hey, man, like, I didn't say, hey, man. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, like, 
as somebody like I wasn't the only one, obviously, a lot of people have said, you know, Trey Lance should be the starter. And I just ask Kyle Shanahan, like, what did I miss? What did we miss about Jimmy Garoppolo that you saw behind the scenes that made you so unwavering in, in your belief of him um, just as the best option for this season? And, and he, you know, he could have dunked on me and he could have said he could have puffed his chest out and said, you know, I knew the whole time, whatever, whatever. And he's like, no, it makes sense. Like we lost four games in a row. We had turnovers. The offense wasn't playing well. And yeah, like naturally when you do what we did and go get a quarterback at number three, I understand that that's going to be part of the discussion, but he said like, look, we just evaluated the tape. We, we took, you know, a 10,000 foot view essentially and said, you know, these problems aren't solely on Jimmy Garoppolo. Like Jimmy Garoppolo was part of them, obviously, but he was just like, there was no, there was, there was nothing on film. There was no controversy behind the scenes. Um, it was all very apparent that it was Jimmy Garoppolo. And this all came during the time when I, and you know, other people, you, I, I would, you know, you see, you said it too, like I was saying it should be Trey Lance. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Shanahan said, we never splintered. Um, the organization was, was all steadfast and, and there was a lot of resolve and look like, when you lose four games in a row and Jimmy Garoppolo is having the season that he was having at that point, and you have Trey Lance there waiting, it, it takes a lot of, of, I guess, courage, strength, belief, whatever word you want to use to stick with the course. And that's what the 49ers did. And ultimately the payoff came against the Rams where you get this performance from Jimmy Garoppolo that was, finally the signature moment that we all had been waiting for right and Mm -hmm. like the biggest indictment of jimmy or one of the biggest indictments of jimmy garoppolo in my mind was you didn't really have any of those moments in you know the three seasons leading up to this point there was yeah there was the saints game in 2019 um and he had a couple other games that season that that were great but there wasn't any like backs completely up against the wall and Jimmy Garoppolo bails you out and, and like does the thing that you want your franchise quarterback to do, which is, you know, you have less than a minute and 30 left. You need a touchdown to go win. you don't have uh, timeouts. And then Jimmy Garoppolo makes those throws and gets you into the playoffs by, by the way he played late in that game against the Rams. And so I, I frankly, like Kyle Shanahan deserves a lot of credit um, for sticking with the process for ignoring people like me and um, and many others. Like I, you know, maybe Trey Lance does the same thing, right? Who knows? But the, the point is the 49ers got to the playoffs, which is what they absolutely had to do. And they deserve credit for that. And a lot of that is because of Jimmy Garoppolo. And I mentioned it earlier in the week, like culture is a real thing. And the way culture manifests itself on the field is when you're able to overcome a 17 point deficit in a game that you absolutely have to win on the road against a good opponent to get into the playoffs. And that's what they did. And so I think Jimmy Garoppolo deserves a lot of credit for it. Um, I think he's handled this season about as well as, as anybody reasonably could like there, this season had, you know, this season could have been treacherous for them, right? Like it could have been controversy and turmoil and all that stuff. And there wasn't like, there was some losing, my dog is scratching at the surge protector. That's not a good idea, Roscoe. Yeah, Roscoe, um, don't do that, bro. <laughs> don't do that. Um, but they stayed the course. And 
ultimately it paid off. And, and I think that speaks to just culture and, you know, culture, the culture matters. And, mm-hmm. and that's where it really uh, shined through to me. And so that's my season long mea culpa on pick six. I'm taking Jimmy Garoppolo with a third overall selection. Obviously the 49ers are going to live and die by Jimmy Garoppolo and his turnovers. Um, but if, if week 18 was any indication of what's to come, I think you have to like the 49ers chances. And if not, then I'll talk about it Sunday that I was completely wrong to trust Jimmy Garoppolo in a big spot like this. And I was a prisoner of the moment of week 18. It's hard to imagine a scenario where the 49ers win this game and we come out of it going like, yeah, Jimmy was all right. Right. They're not going to win a bad Jimmy Garoppolo game. Yeah. They need him to be really good. So I get the pick and I like it. And I am going to draft off of your pick here. Um, and I'm going to take Brandon Ayuk. And let me run through Brandon Ayuk since week 11 against Jacksonville. Here are some of his games against Jacksonville, seven catches for 85 yards and a touchdown. Really good game. The following game against Minnesota, the quietest three catch 91 yard game of all time. Then three for 55 at Seattle, um, six for 62 and a touchdown at Cincinnati. Uh, including that that touchdown was a game winner at Tennessee. He had four for 80 in a touchdown against Houston, four for 94 against LA last week, very quietly six for 107 yards. Like Brandon Ayuk is a factor in this passing game. And if Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have a good game, the Cowboys are going to need to spend resources on stopping George Kittle. They're going to need to spend resources on stopping um, uh, Debo Samuel. I forgot his name for a minute. Um, I was going to say Brandon Ayuk, but KD, as you'll hear coming up, theorizes that the Cowboys are going to double Debo Samuel and do whatever they got to do with George Kittle and leave Brandon Ayuk single covered with Trevon Diggs. If you're leaving Brandon Ayuk single covered, he's going to find space. He's going to find room and Jimmy Garoppolo trusts him. He's going to find him. So I, I just, I think that, that Brandon Ayuk could have a, a really big game here as Dallas does everything they can to, um, because he's the kind of player if it's like, yeah, hey, make Brandon Ayuk beat you, he will. And I think he's going to have a big game because of that. Yeah, I mean, speaking of slow burns, it's like Brandon Ayuk's entire season has sort of been a slow burn, right? Mm-hmm. And so maybe in the playoffs, it's like it's all building up to like, wow, Brandon Ayuk, eight catches, 140 yards and two touchdowns? Like, we haven't really yeah. seen that all season, but you could see, as you point out, like sort of the steady rise over the second half. So I like that pick. Yeah. Um, wow, a lot of interesting names on the board here. Do I go chalk or hipster? What do you think? I think my, I can't decide if my next pick is hipster or not, but do, do your thing. We talked about a players being a players in big games. So I would go, I don't know. Trust your gut, man. 85 is just staring me in the face. And he's had three slow games in a row. Yeah. And you, yeah, I'm taking George Kittle. There it is. I'm taking George Kittle. It, it goes along with the Garoppolo pick, right? Because yes, George Kittle has a big game. Chances are Jimmy Garoppolo is having a big game. Even if George Kittle doesn't have a big game in the passing game, there's a good chance he's going to be very important in the running game, which is the case about hundred percent of the time. Right. <laughs> um, he's, probably the biggest star on offense still just in terms of star power Mm -hmm. right like he's going to be i mean he's going to be talking to people he's going to be the vocal guy out there 
Um, I mean, I don't need to explain to 49ers fans the importance of George Kittle at this point. I, I'm pretty sure right. they'll have a pretty good grasp. Like, even even if his his production in the passing game is forgettable, like he's still just an incredibly important player to everything they do. Right. And his skill set just embodies the versatility of the offense. The fact that like play action, like he can be in pass protection. He's going to block in the running game. He can be their best receiver at any given point. Um, And I do wonder if there's an element of like the lack of production over the last few weeks has anything to do with like Kyle Shanahan just kind of like, yeah, we'll, we'll put George Kittle on ice prevent him from taking too many hits right because even george kittle talks about it like the most painful games for kittle it's not the game where he's run blocking 40 times it's the game where he's getting tackled 12 times because he made 12 catches right right so you wonder if part of the the lack of targets in the passing game recently is sort of leading to the playoffs and kyle shanahan being like all right let's save the bumps and bruises for george until the postseason and now we're going to give him 15 targets mm-hmm. um so maybe that's part of part of the calculus in kyle shanahan's mind um so and look we're we we pick six guys george kittle's on the board at number five i i really like the value there and yeah. i'm all about value drafting so taking do i is so there's two players i want to talk about and i don't know who to pick one of them is definitely more hipster than the other, but I think okay. I'm gonna. Pick, I've gone all chalk, so you should go as hipster as possible. I'm good. Well, I'm gonna pick Juwan Jennings. I'm gonna pick another receiver, and the reason I'm taking him over Eli Mitchell is because I'm not sure Eli Mitchell is going to have a big game because I think Dallas is going to throw the kitchen sink at making sure the Niners can't run, and what we saw last week was I think I don't think that was an that was a one-off with Juwan Jennings it felt like we had been building to that where he had no role early in the year but then it kind of started to expand a little bit and now he has become a reliable third down target a reliable red zone target we saw last week what he can do after the catch and again if you're talking about guys at Dallas is like yeah we'll let that guy beat us I could see Juwan Jennings having another day where he gets eight or nine targets and he's liable to turn those eight or nine targets into six or seven catches and close to 100 yards and maybe a touchdown. So I think there's going to be an element of this game that that is kind of shootout-esque. I could see it going a lot like the Rams game did, maybe without such a slow start. But, I mean, you pick Jimmy Garoppolo, and I think that's a good pick because he's going to need to have a big game. And if he does... um. It's it's gonna I think look a lot like it did against LA where where guys like Ayuk and Jennings kind of break out and, and have big games. So that's why I'm going with Jawan Jennings. Plus he's just a really good run blocker. He had a he had a big block on the Debo Samuel touchdown run against LA. I just I, I think he has become a really, really impactful player on offense. I like it. He has. Um ultimate hipster pick. Like this I have some like super duper hipster analysis. Are you ready for it? Sure, man. Drop it on me. Special teams coach Richard Hightower on on Wednesday um, said something that piqued my interest uh, about long snapper Taper Pepper. Friend of the Um, pod. He's friend of the pod, former podcast guest and maybe future podcast guest. Friend of the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
he said that in that game, Tabor Pepper took his game to a different level in the Rams game. And so I asked him, what does it what does it mean <laughs> when a long snapper takes his game to a different level? Sure, same question. <laughs> and what he said was pretty fascinating in that there's a way as a long snapper that I mean, you spin the ball, right? In short snaps to the field goal holder. And with Kyle Juszczyk holding field goals, obviously it's very important for your long snapper to be on point. There's a certain way you hold the ball as a long snapper to where when you spin it back to the holder, the holder can get it in a way that allows the laces to be out and away from the kicker, right? Like it's there, it's very like, this is way in the weeds, but there's a way... That you snap it to where you calculate the rotations the ball takes to get back to the get. holder to get to give him the ball in a way that the laces are out. No chance, dog. And apparently Tabor Pepper did that. It just locked in light bulb. Locked in like <laughs> eye of the tiger. Tabor Pepper <laughs> long snapping to Kyle Uzcheck. Um. So what? There's games, so much about football. I don't know. <laughs> these games, these these playoff games, Kyle, can be decided by a kick potentially. Good, so I just point, want our man. I just want our listeners to understand the importance of Tabor Pepper, the mm-hmm. fact that he took his game to a completely different level week 18, um, which was needed because you had a backup holder in Kyle Uzcheck because Mitch Wisnowski was hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just wanted to 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 keep fans informed about the the minutia which could which could become super important sure (laughs) if the 49ers win that game on sunday totally man i'm glad you broke that down for us (laughs) when's the feature drop we'll see i'm not i'm not you know i don't want to spoil anything i don't want to give anything but we'll see (laughs) Sure. sure 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 um all right let's pick six you want to run back through them you were writing them down i was not so looking at this pick six, only one defensive player taken. Hmm. Is that going to be a mistake by us? We shall see. That says um, a lot about where uh, where we think the Niners defense is. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it, you know, we, we could have. There are certainly you, you were talking hipster. I thought maybe a DJ Jones or Narden Key might have might have gotten taken mm-hmm. because of how important the pass rush is going to be. But um, all right. So I took Debo first uh you took bosa second i want garoppolo third uh you took brandon ike fourth i want george kittle fifth and you took juan jennings sixth i like my squad this week i like mine too i'm all offense but you know i feel i feel okay about it you went all offense you drafted the only defensive player man we'll see We'll see how it shakes out. I'm fat. I'm so fascinated by this game and we'll get into more with KD, but it's just, if you had, if you had told me three weeks ago that this was going to be the 49ers opponent, I would have been like, Oh man, that stinks. Like that's going to be rough. But then you watch what they did against the Rams last week. And it's like, Oh, like that's the path. That's the, that's it. And Either, I think, go ahead. I think the fact that they played the Rams and came back from 17 down without abandoning their run game 
is a really big deal. Like that to me was a was a a signal or a sign, like a a a watershed moment of like this is a dominant ground attack that you can ride to coming back from 17, nothing down. Like there's not a lot of teams that can do that. We saw the Rams go down 14, nothing to the 49ers. They ran it 12 times the entire game back in week 10. So I think if the 49ers stick with that run game and I, they have to have, they have, this is a, another huge Kyle Shanahan game. What counter punches are you going to have for what Dallas is going to throw at you? And just that kind of that chess match between Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel and Dan Quinn is going to be really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, does it do, do the Cowboys and Rams feel a little bit similar in terms of like the way they're made up as teams? Yeah, do I think you? Dak Prescott's significantly better than Matthew Stafford, though. Yeah, I, I think so, too. But I think for the similarities for me, like it, if the 49ers win this game, I think mm-hmm. it is going to be about big players playing at big moments and ultimately the Niners experience and the culture and the intangible stuff all shining through. Yeah. Right. Like that to me, that, that to me is, is how they win. Um, Cowboys are the better team on paper, obviously the record and, and the numbers and all that stuff it, that speaks to that. But in terms of experience, in terms of, you know, teams that have been in big games, like, you know, I mean, obviously it's a playoff game, but like the Cowboys haven't really had a big game all season. Yeah. And so how much yeah. is that going to factor in? And the 49ers, you know, they had the Rams game. Um, they had the Bengals game. They had, you know, the other Rams game on Monday night, which essentially saved their season. Um, so I think and pair that with 2019, just overall, I think the Niners are much more battle tested. Um, and I think they they have the horses, particularly with the momentum of the week 18 win over the Rams that if they win, that's going to be the story is going to be like, yeah. all right, these guys have been here. The moment was not too big and and they were just more prepared for that moment than the Cowboys. Yep. What's your prediction? I think the Niners are going to win. Wow. Um, and I will go, I'll go low scoring low. No, not really low scoring. I'll go 27-24. Okay. I picked the Rams last week. I'm going to pick the Cowboys this week. Okay. Um, I just, I... It's just between, like, Dalton Schultz and Cedric Wilson, not former 49er Cedric Wilson, who's, like, 45 now. Uh, <laughs> the The Cowboys Cedric Wilson like Tony Pollard, like there's enough random guys that I think, I don't, I, I can the Niners pull off what they pulled off against LA two weeks in a row and play as well as they did. I'm skeptical. Like if you told me they won, I wouldn't be like flabbergasted, but I just, I'm skeptical that they can do specifically Jimmy Garoppolo can do can he take that second half and churn it out over a whole game? And can the defense a stop Dallas as star players, but b keep those secondary guys off the board too? I don't know, man. 
So I like I reservations. The, I like this version of the 49ers as road underdogs more than I would if they were home favorites, if that makes sense. Oh, interesting. Because like 2019, they dominate everybody. They won a lot of big games. And like, you know, it was going to be really tough to beat them at home. But like, they didn't really play well early in the season when the expectations were really high. And then it was, all right, now they're more or less out of it. Their backs are against the wall. And that's when they started playing their best ball. Mm -hmm. So like, that's sort of how that that's one thing I like about the spot they're in this week is that on paper, the Cowboys are clearly better. Cowboys are obviously at home. And like, this is one of those scenarios where, you know, that, that people aren't expecting the Niners to go in and win. And I think that favors them ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I mean, there's not, there's honestly like not, not, and this is, uh, this is, I always do that if you came from the future and told me a thing thing. If you told me the Niners just got out to like a 20 to nothing lead because Dallas thought they could throw their helmets on the field and win, I would buy it. I could totally see this version of the Cowboys just being like, oh, yeah. Like, we can play bully ball too. We'll just do that and beat them. And you like that's it's just not you just can't do that in the NFL. <laughs> it's just not how it works. Uh so no, I, I'm I don't know. I definitely think the 49ers can win, but if I'm predicting, I'm going with the favorite. Yeah. All right, let's uh let's listen to our guy KD. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, KD Drummond is here. He's the managing editor over at the Cowboys Wire. And KD, I want to run this by you because I'm out here in the Bay Area and I I work in sports talk radio. And one big conversation we had was, is 49ers-Cowboys still a rivalry? Because I was cutting highlights for the 94 NFC Championship game and I just didn't really feel anything like 
the way people talk about that rivalry, I feel like it was such a, like it was, you know, in the seventies, the Cowboys would whoop up on the 49ers when they couldn't get over the hump. Then there was the uh, 81 NFC championship game. And then, you know, kind of through the eighties and especially it kind of reached its peak in the early nineties. But since then, these teams have not really duked it out in a, in a, in a playoff <laughs> setting. Uh, is this yeah. still a rivalry to you? Yeah, it, it's been a while since the Cowboys and 49ers were good at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. And clearly, you know, the 49ers have done a couple things, uh, made it all the way to the big game. Uh, the Cowboys have not. Uh, so, you know, it, from that perspective, you can definitely see how it fell off. But for those of us of a certain age bracket, the hatred is still there. And I wasn't old enough for Dwight Clark and the catch and, you know, that sort of thing in the, in the uh, Joe Montana era. Uh, but I was front and center for the rivalry in the nineties. You know, that was my wheelhouse, high school, college. Um, that was really when my fandom exploded during, during that time frame. Um, and the 94 NFC, well, 95 NFC championship game, I guess, depending on how you want to classify <laughs> what year it happened in 94 season NFC championship game, um, still a sore spot. We still want that pass interference on Dion called and we're not <laughs> over it at all. Um, so uh, yeah, for, for us in my particular segment of the fan base, it's still very, very much there. Clearly it's fallen off, but it's being renewed. And, and I would mm-hmm. love to see this game be on the same level of intensity uh, because f- for my money, this is a Cowboys best shot, uh, you know, probably since Romo's early years. Um, you know, they went to the, you know, they went to the playoffs a couple of times in his later years. And we've been a couple of times with Dak, but when it was that T.O. Terry Glenn fumble snap against, you know, on the ex- on, on the field goal, that really felt like the last time the Cowboys felt like potential champions. This is the first year that we've really felt like we could be potential champions again. Um, so, yeah, and, and, and the 49ers are in the way right now. And that's that's the way that we look at it. They're in the way. We're on a revenge tour. We want to beat everybody that's kept us down over the years. And it's funny because we don't remember or we remember, but we don't hark back to beating the 49ers in those championship games. It's the one that we lost. And we ended up turning around and winning the Super Bowl the next year. But it still sticks in our crawl that the 49ers beat us in that game. Uh, So, yeah, we, we definitely are looking for some payback. 25 30 years later we will not get over it and then we're going to move on to beating tom brady and move on to beating aaron Rodgers in green bay and that's how the dream happens but we have to get through this game first so that was uh so i I grew up a niners fan and and my dad had season tickets that for the uh, the first season he had season tickets was 94 so really what my earliest memory was that season when the niners went on to win the super bowl and obviously the biggest game that year was the 94 or the championship game that you're talking about and i'll never forget like it was just different like it's it's for whatever reason it's so much different when you see and they were wearing those throwback uniforms in that game but like the niners red and gold and the cowboys white blue and silver it just contrasts so perfectly it looks so good on tv um what's awesome about this game is it feels like there's a lot of star power in it like the, the, the Niners have a lot of stars on offense. Obviously there's Fred Warner, there's Nick Bosa on defense and the Cowboys are loaded with stars too. Um, well, I, I'm curious, you mentioned like that this, this is probably the Cowboys best shot in, in quite some time, you know, all, all the metrics favor the Cowboys, particularly offensively defensively. It's a, it's definitely a big play defense and maybe the weakness might be 
their run defense. But, you know, looking at it, the Cowboys were three and four against teams that went to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what you consider their best win to be this season, but and th- and this isn't necessarily a knock, but I, I feel like they're a little bit untested by, you know, by their schedule. Like they it wasn't it didn't look like they played a lot of big games during the regular season in terms of like real quality opponents. And um, correct me if I'm on, uh, wrong on that, but, but just in terms of you, your confidence level in, in how the Cowboys were tested during the regular season for the playoffs. So where, where are you at? Um, from that standpoint and just how many big games they played to prepare for a potential playoff run here. Yeah, no, you're right. If you're looking for the signature win over a team, that's a top seed in the playoffs right now. um, It's really not there. Uh, They, they beat San Diego or San Diego. They beat the Los Angeles chargers early in the season. Uh, You know, they came down to the end, but they're not in the playoffs right now because they lost that game to the Raiders because Brandon Staley wants to call a timeout, but we don't want to get into those sorts of things. Um, When they beat the Panthers, the Panthers were the hottest thing going. They were three and zero. everybody was saying that they were, you know, a great team. They had turned the corner. Sam Darnold was refreshed and all of that kind of stuff. So (laughs) at the time, that was a big game. And, you know, they, they really put it to the Panthers who were undefeated at the time, but they were only three and zero, and they only won two more games the rest of the season after we exposed them for the frauds that they were. When we beat Minnesota, uh, Minnesota was a hot team at the time, but again, they ended up not making the playoffs. When we beat the Patriots, they weren't a good team, but then after we beat them, they went on and won six games in a row and made their way to the playoffs with a rookie quarterback. So I guess the Patriots game, the overtime when, um, you know, the back and forth scoring, the digs uh, pick six right after that, the Kendrick Bourne 75-yard touchdown, then the big play to CeeDee Lamb to get in field goal range uh, in order to go to overtime, and then they marched down the field after they stopped the Patriots and the touchdown to CeeDee Lamb when he waved goodbye. If you're going to pick a signature win, that's it. But the Patriots are what ten and seven, number five seed, you know, number or number six seed. I guess the Raiders jumped ahead of them. Yeah, so the Patriots are number six seed. So you really don't have that victory over a team like Kansas City, um, where they played good defense, but their offense could not get going in that contest. Uh, and Kansas City was still kind of trying to figure itself out when it came to their offensive uh, game plan, and, and you know they still had it clicked again like they have down, down the stretch of the season so yeah the, the Cowboys are missing that signature win and I hear what people are saying when they're talking about you know that's really how we're judging who's who should be considered the upper echelon of the playoffs teams but I'll say this the Cowboys have the largest point differential in the NFC second to Buffalo for me the measure of a great team is a team that completely dominates inferior opponents if you can be competitive with teams that are in your bracket and you saw them do that against Tampa Bay um, early in the season and you know they really haven't been tested other than the Kansas City game since then you know against a strong opponent but Arizona's in the playoffs um, and they you know storm back to make that a very close game should have won it if the refs had called the fumble uh, like like the replay showed but if you're competitive against teams that are in your same bracket and you blow out your opponents that to me is the measure of a great team so that's how I consider the Cowboys to be this is their best chance they have an offense that when it's firing on all cylinders cannot be stopped they have a defense that turns people over they have shut many opponents down uh, for games they played two games where they haven't allowed the opponent to score a touchdown which is really hard to do in today's NFL it's really hard to keep people out of the end zone with the way the rules are right now but they did that twice on the season so with all things being considered they have the components of a team 
and also they're healthy, which is paramount at this time of year. We mm-hmm. have pretty much everybody right now, except for Michael Gallup. And if you're asking me, Michael Gallup being gone actually helps the offense because they tried to do too much juggling their wide receivers, moving everybody in and out of the slot. Cedric Wilson is a slot only guy. So their offense really has hummed with the Cedric Wilson early in the season when Gallup was out with the calf. And then now that he's out, Cedric Wilson came back in 119 yards, two touchdowns in the final game. So I think that they have all of the components to be that team, but I completely understand why outsiders would, would not be convinced yet. They just have to see it to believe it. And, and that makes sense. Through 14 weeks, Dak was at 24 touchdowns and 10 picks. He went 13 and zero over the final four games. What, did something click for him? Because I felt like when I would watch Dak earlier in the year, it was kind of, it, it was, he was, he was good. Like he's not a bad player, but it felt like there was just like something missing, but it felt like it clicked late in the season. Is that something you saw as well? Or is that a product of, like you said, Michael Gallup going down on their offense, uh, just kind of finding a stride? Yeah, it, it, he, he was uh, really good to start. Um, the first mm-hmm. uh, three or four, six, the first six weeks of the season, he was uh, 6, 10, 16, 16 touchdowns, four interceptions across the first six games of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, then things just kind of fell apart in the middle after that New England game. Now, remember, on the play that he won against New England, that touchdown, in his jump pass, he landed and uh, strained his calf. So he missed the following game. Cooper Rush came in. Then he came back the following week after the bye. He still wasn't healthy if he had to play. If there was no bye, he would probably have missed the next game. And he was kind of working his way through it. But what a lot of people don't don't really capture is that Dak lost his grandmother during that time. Uh, his, his maternal grandmother and everybody knows everybody that's familiar with the Cowboys knows the story Dak was very close with his mom he dedicates his play to his mom that passed away from cancer um, and that's very huge in his life last year um, his brother committed suicide so mm-hmm. this is a man that's dealing with tremendous loss and it's my working theory and again I don't talk to Dak I don't know him well so you 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 know, I, I always leave that caveat. I'm not saying anything like inside information. It's just my observation that his mental processing fell off when he came back, dealing with the injury, trying to compensate for the injury. And I think all of the things that he goes through, he's spoken about his mental health and how important that is to him. I just wonder aloud whether or not his head was in it during that stretch when he wasn't playing well. And anybody that's dealt with grief knows that it can affect them when they go to the job. Your your head is just not into it. You can't prepare the same. You can't perform the same. And these are guys that are under the most magnificent spotlight that you can ever imagine. So it just, to me, it feels like with the injury and with everything that he was going through stress-wise, he just wasn't playing at his best. And as time passes, time heals all wounds. You start to get yourself back in the game. You realize the importance of what's going on and you refocus, you recenter yourself And now we're seeing, once again, the best of Dak. 13 touchdowns against no interceptions. There's been dropped interceptions. That happens with every quarterback. You know, he threw some bad passes, some what PFF calls turnover-worthy plays. There are definitely some of those in the last couple of games. Um, Not so much against Philly, because Philly was just – I don't even know what Philly was trying (laughs) to do out there in Week 18. (laughs) They were not trying. Exactly. Yeah, they were not trying. Um, But overall, I I just think that he's in a great place going into the playoffs right now. Um, But again, you're you're right on point. There was a lull in the season where you were wondering where he was uh, in in the ranking of quarterbacks around the league. But I I think he's reestablished himself at the top or near the top, I should say. 
I, I have a super loaded question for you. Yeah, come on. How oh much do you trust Mike McCarthy? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Caveat. During the 2019 season, when it was apparent that Jason Garrett was not going to survive as a lame duck coach and he was not going to be brought back, during the last five weeks of that campaign, I stopped doing my player power rankings, which is something I do every week. I rank all the Cowboys, you know, one to 50 back then. Now it's only one to 30 because I'm old and I don't have the time. I stopped doing that and I started running a potential Jason Garrett replacement power ranking. And there were 35 candidates that I had. Number one was Bill, Bill Belichick. I was hoping that Tom Brady leaving, he would want to be, you know, get out of, get out of New England or we would trade some, <laughs> trade three draft picks to get Bill Belichick. Number two was reuniting Sean Payton with Jerry Jones. We all know those rumors, how, how strong they are. And Drew Brees on the, on the, you know, verge of retirement. So I was hoping they would trade for one of those two. My number three guy behind them was Mike McCarthy. So I'm all in on McCarthy. I, I, I thought that his divorce in Green Bay was about getting tired of looking at each other between him and Aaron Rodgers. I think that was really what went wrong in Green Bay. We've all seen Aaron Rodgers is very problematic <laughs> based on everything that we've seen him do since he auditioned for Jeopardy. Um, so I just think that personalities class, they got tired of dealing with each other and that plus a lack of a quality um, personnel acquisition phase for Green Bay just kind of left him in a bad spot and, and, and just got stale but I have full confidence in Mike McCarthy as a leader. And I'll tell you why it's not X's and O's. He doesn't call the plays. Kellen Moore calls the offense. We know he doesn't call the defense. He, you know, he's hands off with the defense, but Mike McCarthy is a master motivator and everything that he's done in the two years since he's been at the helm in Dallas has been about psychological warfare within his own team. The way he goes for it on fourth down, the way he just oozes confidence that his guys are going to be able to come through the way that he prepares week in, week out, the things that you hear him say in the press conferences, how he talks about it, that tough nose mentality, that, you know, mind to the grind and nose, nose to the grind. He's exactly what Dallas needed to follow up from Jason Garrett. I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know if this can be a five to seven year marriage or a 10 year marriage, but right now where this team is coming out of the Jason Garrett era, he was absolutely perfect for this team. And I have confidence in him as much as I just don't believe that most NFL head coaches do good with situational football. I, I think they're bad with using timeouts. I think they're bad with decision-making. And I think it's across the board. Clock management mm -hmm. is, uh, I mean, name a fan base that hasn't complained about clock management. You go to any single fan base, there might be five, a handful that don't complain about their coaches clock management. Everybody's mm -hmm. infected by it. So it's just one of those things that we all second guess and we can't get in the coaches' minds. But I think, those those are the biggest things that people complain about Mike McCarthy, but it happens in every single city across the NFL. So for my money, I, he he's right where he needs to be. I'm very excited about Mike McCarthy. Okay, so I was going to save this question for later, but I'll, I'll just ask it now because if I'm looking at the Cowboys and I'm looking at their roster and I'm looking what they've done, especially over the last quarter of the season or so, they look like a team without a ton of weaknesses. If I yeah. said Dallas was going to fall short, if I was picking a reason that Dallas was going to fall short, I probably would have first circled Mike McCarthy and his just kind of in-game management. Right. If that if that's off the table for you, what is the reason that Dallas might fall short? Their offensive line isn't good anymore. Like it, it's it's not what it's okay. advertised Next to question. be. Yeah, it, it, it's it's really not. It's not. I, I am worried sick 
about what the San Francisco mm. 49ers defensive front is going to do in this game. I am scared as hell of Nick Bosa. I'm worried about um, Armstead. I'm worried about Arden Key. I saw him lining up over the center against the Rams, and I did that just shook me to my core. <laughs> like, I, I am really <laughs> concerned about what the San Francisco defense can do. Um, when the Cowboys don't have Teron Smith, or Tyron Smith, I've just recently learned that I've been pronouncing it wrong for the last decade. When they don't have Tyron Smith at left tackle, things fall apart. And during the season, they did this crazy thing. Lyle Collins was suspended because he tried to bribe a piss test doctor. Um, so he was suspended for five days, five games. Terrence Steele took over at right tackle. And then they refused to give Lyle Collins his job back. Like they were just so pissed at him for, you know, because he could have accepted like a two-game suspension. And he challenged it he like appealed a two-game suspension when you got caught bribing somebody so the the front office the coaching staff was absolutely pissed at him for doing that and they wouldn't give him his job back even though he's superior to Terrence Steele in every way imaginable once they made that decision and they started not putting their best foot forward because they were trying to send a message everything went downhill they switched their left guard Connor Williams was starting at left guard he had a bunch of penalties so they wanted to send him a message and they started Connor McGovern Connor McGovern is not good at left guard he's good substituting for Zach Martin at right guard Tyron Smith gets injured they put Terrence Steele over there they put Ty Naseki over there just not comparable my concern is that every time Tyron goes out the first game that he comes back he sucks like he like he's done it twice he sucked in the first game that he came back but the second game has been great and we were all prepared for him to come back against week 18 and get that game out of the way or, or, or have the second game back from, from his uh, latest ankle injury, and he caught COVID. So he's just now coming back from being out. And I'm worried sick that we're going to get the bad tyrant as opposed to the all-pro tyrant. And if that's the case with what you guys have on the defensive front, it's going to be a serious problem. Um, if they give Dak Prescott time, this offense can flourish. I don't see the quality in the 49ers secondary to do the things that we've seen other teams do that has confounded him. The whole, you know, mask what you're going to do on defense, drop one, drop out, fake like you're coming and, you know, man zone type of switches and all of those sorts of things that kind of make him think post-snap. That's really his one weakness is his post-snap processing, not matching up. Like he kind of marries himself to what he sees pre-snap. So teams mm. that have quality secondaries and then shift after the snap as far as who looks like who's guarding who. If you have that type of team, that type of defense, you can cause problems. I don't see that in San Francisco. So the way that the San Francisco defense solves Dak is getting pressure on him and not giving him a chance to get these plays down the field, making him be patient, take the underneath stuff and all that kind of stuff. But if he can avoid being pressured, if the offensive line can keep him clean, this is a game that the Cowboys often should be able to do damage. We have, we, I hate doing that. They have too many weapons for them to be stopped unless you're confusing the quarterback. So I, I want to switch gears a little bit and, and talk about the, what, what the atmosphere might be like at the game, because that was kind of a big story coming out of, of the Niners Rams game was the fact that it seemed like, I don't know, 60, 70% of the fans in the stadium at SoFi were, were Niners fans wearing red. Yeah. And, and, you know, I went to week one in 2014 at Jerry world when the Niners and, and, uh, and the Cowboys played there and there were a ton of Niners fans at that game. And, and you've seen stuff, you know, on Twitter, uh, different blog site, Cowboys blog sites, in, encouraging fans to not sell their, their tickets, particularly to 49ers right. fans. Um, I'm, I'm curious what you're expecting from that standpoint. Like, is, is it, 
is it going to be a situation where there are a lot of Niners fans in there? And, and um, I know Jerry Jones probably won't be thrilled with that, but, but how do you see all that stuff shaking out? So there are four teams that travel extremely well across the country. Actually, three teams. <clears throat> Excuse me. Green Bay travels well. The Steelers travel insanely well. And San Francisco travels well. The Cowboys don't necessarily travel well. The Cowboys just have immersed, just just incredible fans in every city across the country. So whenever the Cowboys go to a city, those fans that are local but Cowboys fans flood that stadium. It's it's a little bit different than fans from Dallas traveling all over the country to follow the team. It's just, we have a lot of fans. But San Francisco travels well. Y'all make a lot of money out there, and your fan base is able to travel and go to these type of games. Kyle does. <laughs> I think that it should still be a 90% Cowboys fan base at this game. When the game was announced the following day, I know everybody rushes to StubHub and, oh, I don't want to give them, you guys might have a sponsor. Everybody rushes to the, uh, the, to the secondary yeah. market. Yeah, yeah, okay, there you go. They rush there to see if they can get uh, tickets for the game. When I checked 24 hours after the game was announced on Monday, there were 7,000 tickets available on one of the outlets. Um, that's not a large amount when you have 100,000 seats in your stadium. You know, right. so it feels like Cowboys fans kept their tickets. I know when you're a season ticket holder, you tend to try to sell some games to recoup your cost. And I did it with my Nats tickets and, you know, all those sorts of things. But mm-hmm. I I just have a feeling like this is still going to be a pro Cowboys crowd, mainly because the traveling that you see is normally when you can plan months in advance like jerry world is so attractive Mm. you get that you get that schedule in march or april and you say i'm going to go see my favorite team at jerry world in five months i'm saving up all of my allowance and i'm going i'm not going to eat a hot dog because they're 12 dollars. i'm not going to drink a beer because it's 18 (laughs) dollars. but i'm going but as far as finding out on sunday that you have to travel all the way to dallas and making those arrangements especially in a pandemic Mm. where half of the people you know nothing political but some people don't want to travel right now. And I think that plays a role into whether or not you're going to have a bunch of people flying in for the game, as opposed to it just being a local crowd. So I think in that regard, I feel pretty secure that it's going to be a really, really pro Cowboys, um, pro pro Cowboys crowd. They're doing a whiteout. So they're telling all the fans to wear white Cowboys fans don't follow directions very well. Um, (laughs) So you're probably going to see some blue mixed in. I think the white will help the uniformity of the appearance on TV, but San Francisco fans are going to be loud regardless. Like even if it's only 7,000, like let's say 7,000 people bought those tickets. You're still going to hear them when San Francisco does something well, because you travel. That's, that's what happens when you travel for your team. You're that type of fan. That's not, you're not going to be sitting on your hands. You're not going to be the business crowd. You're going to be the diehard rambunctious. So there's still going to be support for the 49ers, but I don't think it's going to be the sea of red that we've seen in years past for regular season games. When Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers offense take the field, you feel what? I hope he throws it 40 times a game because that means that we shut down the run game. I'm, I don't have fear for this game. I don't have fear for any of the NFC opponents. Cause I think the Cowboys are the best roster sure. in the NFC, yeah. but 
Kyle Shanahan in the run game, I mean, I don't know who's going to run the ball. Like, you guys got Elijah Mitchell. You got Debo. Um, I don't know. Are you going to Are you gonna activate Trent Cannon? Is, is he going to get activated? I know the practice window opened up on him, but. He's, yeah, he's but he won't. Special teams. Yeah, he'll he'll return kicks, but. Okay, he'll return kicks. Uh, yeah. And Trey Sermon got activated off of IR, but he hasn't done much for you guys this year, right? He may not even be active. <laughs> okay, gotcha. So um, you got Juice, you got Elijah Mitchell, and you got Debo. That's a lot to contend with as a rushing attack when all three are on the field at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have George Kittle, who, for my money, is the reincarnation of Jason Witten as far as he's more athletic. But as far as being able to block and be out in routes, like he's an extremely good blocker. So that run game is what worries me the most about San Francisco. But if Garoppolo is throwing it 40 times a game, that means that we've somehow, some way, shut down the running game or exploded out to a big lead and mm-hmm. if garoppolo is throwing it all over the field especially with that injured thumb i like our chances of getting turnovers you know i i don't think he's the most mobile quarterback i think that we can get pressure if we get pressure on him we can bring him down uh and if he gets the ball away i think he's going to turn it over um i know he loves the middle of the field he doesn't do deep passing much he doesn't like the left side of the field much uh, you know i've been crunching the numbers as far as this season i don't know about career wise but this season he really hasn't done much going left um the middle of the field looks like his bread and butter so that's going to be on our safety that's going to be on Malik Hooker that's going to be on Demonte Kazee um you know J-Ron J- J- Curse um it- it's going to be interesting but yeah if-, if Garoppolo has to throw it a lot then I feel really good about this game where's Micah Parsons going to line up <laughs> I mean it-, it it seems like you know you you what Kyle Shanahan I think does best is it's the window dressing before before the play right and he can get guys going one direction before the snap and then the play is going the other direction Um, but you can minimize that if you're if you're playing somebody like Micah Parsons potentially on the edge where you know he can pin his ears back rush the passer set the edge whatever that may be but if you're Kyle Shanahan he's also pretty good at avoiding guys who are um, who can be on one side of the field like that too so I, I I'm just curious what you think Dan Quinn's going to do with Parsons because I'd imagine Kyle Shanahan is going to try like his entire game plan in my mind is going to be trying to avoid obvious passing situations, particularly on third down where Micah Parsons could potentially rush the passer against Tom Compton, who's a much better run blocker than pass protector. Um, But I'm, I'm curious how you think he's going to be deployed because I think if the 49ers prevent him from making big plays, obviously that's going to give them a much better ch- shot at, at coming away with the upset. Yeah, for sure. I, I think Dallas's game plan is going to be, it's, it's going to go like this. They have two talented, talented edge rushers in Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory. And I think those guys can win, especially with Trent Williams being an elbow brace. I don't know how well he's going to play. If he's, 80% or better, Trent Williams can stop pretty much anybody. Uh, but if he's really hampered, then I think there might be an advantage there. But the game plan to me is you put J. Ron Curse on George Kittle because that's why he was signed to be the tight end eraser. Uh, he's very athletic, big guy, and I think he can somewhat mitigate Kittle, keep him to a minimum of, you know, big plays. Kittle's going to eat. Regardless, he's he's going to eat, but you try to minimize how much damage he does. So you put curse on Kittle, then you double Debo with Kelvin Joseph and another safety. We run a lot of big dime where we're running, um, you know, three safeties along with three cornerbacks. Um, 
I think you double Debo and then you put uh, Trevon Diggs on Ayuk. That's the way that I would attack it. And if you do it that way, that allows you to still use Michael Parsons as your joker, as your guy that's just all over the field. You put him here, put him in the A-gap, put him on the edge, just really try to get that advantage based on however the formation looks. My fear is that if that doesn't work and you have to dedicate Parsons, who is the most athletic player on the field, to checking Debo Samuel, then we're reacting to what Kyle Shanahan is doing. It's all about who can impose their will, you know? Like if Kyle Shanahan can dictate where you play Michael Parsons because you have to stop Debo and you have to stop Kittle and the other guys can't do it, then that takes away the wild card of the Cowboys defense and they become mortal again. But I think to start, Parsons will still get his off-ball linebacker, blitz guy type of assignment. And then if that doesn't work, if we can't, stop the run game and then we have to bring guys in the box and that lets Debo go crazy, which is another nightmare. But I think it's all going to be, this is what we'll try to do. And then if we have to, we'll pull Parsons out of that role and try to put him on Debo um, and and try to affect him that way. Because regardless of how great he is in coverage, I would much rather if I was a 49ers have Parsons in coverage than blitzing. So I, I, I think that's going to be really what, what makes a decision on, on the game is how well they can defend in their base. I, I know you called bit... him. I, I know you called him Calvin Joseph. I just want you to know on this podcast, mm, he's known as point. boss man fat. He is boss great man fat. But I, I was yeah. trying to be, I was trying to be uh, professional here, guys. No, I was trying to be professional. Podcast, yeah. What are you talking no. about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we call him boss man fat too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, thank God. <laughs> that was going to be a very serious problem. I was going to demand a trade immediately. <laughs> For our guy, boss man, fat. No, that's that's uh, my guy. I, I was very big on, on him in the draft, and I was very happy when the dang. Cowboys ended up with him. Yeah, he was a favorite of the pod for sure. Okay, good um, deal. Good deal. Uh, it feels like Micah Parsons is the player that Isaiah Simmons was supposed to be. In that's a Arizona. great comparison. That's a like great just, comparison. Yeah, just that kind of do everything. Although yep. I feel like, I mean, Simmons is growing. Be, Simmons is growing. I'm mean, sure. like, he's not. He's not what he, like when he first, it was like, oh, I don't know about this pick, guys. But he he came on towards the yeah. the last half of the year. So, yeah. But, he's yeah, Michael Parsons, is, yeah, Michael Parsons is, it, he's exactly that. Everything that you heard about Isaiah Simmons pre-draft, that is what Parsons is, and we did not see it coming. Would you line him up? Because you said to put him on, on Debo Samuel. Is that as a runner? Or you, if Samuel splits out wide, you're having Parsons guard him? No, 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 no. As a runner, when he's in the backfield, oh, okay. like, yeah, I was like kind he of, can do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. Well, he can. He's he's carried guys downfield and Jeez. made pass breakups. Like he is that unicorn. It, it's Man. like we had no idea when he when Parsons was coming out. The whole thing was that he was just this insane athlete, sideline to sideline. You're not going to be able to outrun him. But we don't know about how much he can rush the passer. And we don't know about his coverage. As a matter of fact, the knock on him was you don't want him in coverage. Screw Mm -hmm. that. This dude is covering guys, tight ends, running backs, wide receivers. He's covering them downfield and getting pass breakups. Like, I mean, 30 yards downfield, not like, you know, underneath stuff. I'm talking downfield routes. He's breaking up. Mm -hmm. Like this dude is incredible. I've never seen a defender like him before. Um, And I'm, I'm linebackers don't matter. Like that's that's my thing. People say running wow. backs don't matter. I say linebackers don't matter. All positions I sh- matter. I mean, kind of, yeah, sort of. <laughs> but I don't think that you need to invest heavy draft pedigree or big money in free agency in order to sure. solve your linebacker problem. 
I was anti the pick because I did not know that he was a unicorn. Like if you had told me he was a unicorn and I was looking at, you know, a, a fantasy monster, I would have been all in on Micah Parsons, but I had no clue that he had this much ability. And as a rookie, it's just, it's, it's insane to watch. So yeah, when I say put Parsons on Debo, I'm talking about like when they, when they bring Debo in the backfield, you kind of have Parsons as a dedicated, that's your guy. You just spy on him. Like you spy Kyler Murray, you know, that, mm-hmm. that kind of assignment when he spread out wide, I think you double him. You put, um, like I said, you put uh boss man fat, Thank and you. one of the safeties, you're welcome. And one of the safeties <laughs> on Debo. And then you let Trevon Diggs try to lock down Ayuk. Cause I'm of that philosophy that you double the other team's number one receiver. You put your number one cornerback on the number two receiver. And that's how you keep teams from passing on you. So we'll see if that comes to fruition. With so going to the other side of the ball, what what's what's the best way to slow down the Cowboys offense? Because like you said, I mean it's it's a super talented group, a lot of talented skill guys. Um, a really good running game. The offensive line might be a little bit of a question mark, but in terms of like games where the Cowboys offense hasn't played as well as maybe it should, what happened and and what do you think the 49ers are going to try to exploit? It's, it's first and foremost pressure. And then it's bringing your defenders up to the line of scrimmage and being really physical with the wide receivers. Um, The Cowboys have strong wide receivers, but they're not, bullies cd lamb can take some of the most tremendous hits get up and talk trash in your face um but he's not a bully off the line of scrimmage coop isn't a bully off the line of scrimmage so if you have the horses to do so with your corners i don't really know if san francisco has that but physicality at the line of scrimmage is a way to throw them off you throw off the timing of those routes um you know, you, you get sticky with your coverage. You focus on that. You confuse Dak. Uh, a lot of pre-snap to post-snap changes. That's really the formula to stopping the Cowboys offense. Um, but it's easier said than done. Like I said, the the issue in the middle of the season, not only the injuries, because the Cowboys were just ridiculously injured during the middle of the season. When Dak was out, um, Coop caught uh, COVID. He was out for a couple games. Lamb had a concussion. Elliott's knee has been bad since week four. How can we talk for 30 minutes and we haven't even talked about Ezekiel Elliott? My, how times have changed. Because I don't think he's um, going to be a factor, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so he's been hurt since week four. Tony Pollard hurt his foot. Uh, so he rested week 18. Uh, he's an X factor in the game. But yeah, it's it's just bully ball. Like that's that's really how you how you stop Dallas. You you know, you the defense is aggressive and are bullies on their own. But on offense, it's one of those timing type of things. And I don't want to call them finesse. They're not finesse, but they're like I said, you if you if you're really physical with them, you can impact the way that they run their routes and throw the timing off and confuse Dak. Those are the sorts of things that have given them problems so far this year. I wanted to hit a follow-up real quick on, on Michael Parsons as we now jump back to the other side of the ball. Um, I typically, when the 49ers are playing an opponent that I haven't seen in a while, identify like a player that I think Kyle Shanahan's going to circle and be like, that's the guy. Like, that's the guy we want to mess with as much as possible. Right. And I'm curious who you think that guy would be for the Cowboys because I have a name in mind. And if it's a different name for you, I have a second question. As far as who you want to attack on the Cowboys defense? Yeah, like if Kyle Shanahan's watching Cowboys film, he's going, that's the guy that we want going the wrong way or covering, you know, whoever. 
Leighton Van Der Esch, the, yeah, the middle linebacker. That was my name too. Yeah, yeah, it, it's yeah. Leighton. Uh, yeah. and, and the funny thing is, he's. I, I've made a joke on, on my podcast on Catch This Fade. Subscribe on Patreon. Um, I, I've made a joke that Leighton Van Der Esch has come on the last three weeks because he's. They didn't give him the fifth year option. And he's about to be a free agent. And all of a sudden, the last three weeks of the season, he's like tackling everybody. Like <laughs> he's he's played his three best games since his rookie season in the last three weeks. But overall, he can't cover. Like that's just not his thing. So I think Shanahan is going to try to get Debo and George Kittle on Vanderesh. And what I saw in the Rams game, uh, and I'm I'm praying that he just exhausted all of the things that he could think of just to get to the playoffs. That's that's my hope. Like Kyle <laughs> Shanahan is just out of gas. Right go now. Just like, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Week. We had to go to overtime. The four plays that I wanted to save for the playoffs, I had to use them in <laughs> overtime, and that's it. Um, but I, I think that's really I saw him isolate like he did some motion that had Jalen Ramsey checking like the second tight end. And, and like, it's just incredible the way that he uses motion to get the matchups that he wants. And he's absolutely circling Leighton Van Der Esch. As far as the secondary, he's circling Anthony Brown. Now, Anthony Brown has come a long way. He's had a great season, three interceptions, a bunch of pass breakups. He's actually quote unquote air quotes graded better than Trevon Diggs, which is absolute horseshit. Can I cuss on here? Yes, that's fine. Okay, absolute horseshit that Anthony Brown has great outgraded Trevon Diggs in his 11 interceptions. But <laughs> he is susceptible to being called for pass interference. Like, that's the way the Raiders won the Thanksgiving game. They just kept throwing Derek Carr. Uh, Derek Carr is the DPI king, but he just kept underthrowing balls, letting Anthony Brown not turn around and run into the receiver. Boom, 30 yards downfield. Those are the two guys that he's going to target. But I think with boss man fast ascension because he didn't play for like the first three quarters of the season. He's now going to be on the outside, which allows Anthony Brown to go back into the slot, which is where he originally played until Jordan Lewis kicked him outside. So I think that that mitigates how much you can do against uh, Anthony Brown. But those are the two guys you target Van Der Esch, you target Brown. If we can't help them, if they don't have good games, then your passing game can actually do something this weekend. So we'll get you out of here on a prediction, and and I have a feeling you're going to take the Cowboys. But um, me? give me give, give me a reason. <laughs> give, give me the reasons why you're going to take the Cowboys and what you think the score is going to be. I my prediction, and I'm trying my best to make sure I give the same prediction on every appearance that I do, because um, you know I don't, I don't want you know things to come back in, in the Twitter sphere. Be like, oh, you predicted this, and you know, well, right. I, I also predicted this somewhere else. But my score is 27 to 20. Uh, Cowboys victory. I think that the defenses are actually going to be pretty strong this game. Um, yeah, I, I think that you guys are going to be able to confuse Dak a little bit, but I also think it's a little bit misleading. I think that the Cowboys are going to have a comfortable lead, 27-17, 27-13 type of thing. San Francisco scores in the fourth quarter. And then the Cowboys offense has to make sure that they don't give the ball back to San Francisco. I think it's going to be that kind of game. Um, I can lay out an entire plot on how San Francisco wins this game. Mm -hmm. That's just how my mind works. I can, I can see a path and I don't even want to speak it into existence because I'm that kind of guy, (laughs) but I can see a path that San Francisco comes out victorious in this game. But I just, I have a feeling that roster talent wins out in the wildcard round more often than not. Mm-hmm. And I just think the Cowboys have a superior roster. Um, if San Francisco had a better secondary, it'd be a wash. But between the secondary comparisons and then the special teams advantage, um, the Cowboys are really good in everything except for Greg Zerline kicks. 
Like everything <laughs> except for making field goals and extra points, the Cowboys are obscenely good at special teams. So that's kind of my key. Mm-hmm. If San Francisco breaks a big play and somehow swings a special team advantage away from Dallas, like if they break a big return um, and, and you guys are talking about Cannon being that guy and being back for that, if they break that big return, if they get a block or any of that sort of stuff that you don't really normally predict about special teams performance, that to me is what evens the playing field because the mm-hmm. Cowboys should have a decided advantage when it comes to special teams. All right. Very good. KD, appreciate your time, man. Uh, plug your Patreon for us before uh, sure. before you get out of here. Yep, patreon.com slash catch this fade. Available $3 per month audio, $10 per month video. Uh, discounts for annual subscriptions. Please join us over there. We have a really good time. Myself and Patrick Walker from CBS Sports. Uh, we do at least one weekly show, sometimes two, when we're not tied up with our other duties that we have. Um, I'm on Twitter at KD Drummond NFL. Follow, <laughs> follow me there. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I welcome all fans, but you know, I'm, I'm pro Cowboys. 49 fans <laughs> that. You know, so. Just in case there's the there's the stray Cowboys fan listening. There you uh, go. KD, there thanks you go. for your time, man. We really appreciate it. Awesome all right, stuff, fellas. Man. Always appreciate my pleasure, you. man. Y'all have a good one. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.